Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is the future of mobility and manufacturing with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in the automotive and industrial manufacturing industries and supporting ecosystems, and help them move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We've got such an interesting topic for you today. I'm going to start off with my buzz quote, which I do on all these shows. It's a quote from a gentleman named Oliver Bendig, German after sales and industrial marketing lead at Monitor Deloitte. Listen up. I found this just by Googling our topic. It's interesting. Spare parts. Okay, everyone, let that sink in. That's what we're talking about. Spare parts are the engine in the aftermarket. In the interest of your customers, you want to make sure that it does not sputter. Think about that. Engine sputtering, aftermarket parts. Okay, we've got that. Now, let me give you a little more background before I introduce my very interesting panel. So planning and ensuring that your supply chain has the right aftermarket part at the right time for the right customer. We hear this all the time about data. We hear this all the time about goods. The right something for the right person at the right time in the right way in the right delivery mode is an incredibly challenging logistical deal today. It's a big thing. Now, this is especially true in automotive. And here we are talking about the future of mobility and manufacturing. This series used to be the future of cars. Now, you know where the word mobility came from. (laughs) It involves your customer's means of transport. And guess what? The demand, it's not linear. It's not prescribed. It is uncertain. You don't know when. How can service parts manufacturers ensure they have the flexibility and the visibility to be responsible to variable demand, to be able to collaborate with dealers and aftermarket providers and help customers get back on the road quickly and safely. Those are two very important things. We have two panelists from Deloitte and one from SAP today. We're very honored to have Ravi Patwarden at Deloitte. Ravi, would you wave for those who are able to see the video when we post it? Thank you. We have Guada Joseph at SAP. Welcome, Guada. Delighted to have you. And we have Sundar Chandra. Sekaran at Deloitte. I think I got it. And we're going to ask them for their (laughs) expertise and their insights on how to make planning and managing service parts a more reliable process. Process is the key word. And the title of this episode is Automotive Service Parts Planning. Streamline your aftermarket for reliability. Everybody wants to be able to depend, rely on, count on. No blips, no oopses. We want it to be good. And I have to do a shout out to Judy Cubis at SAP, who's the longtime sponsor of this long running series. So thank you, Judy, for putting together this panel. Now that I've made the panel sound wonderful, they have to live up to that. So let's go around the table. Let's find out who you are. What's your passion for this topic? Why are you here? Ravi, happy to have you. I'm going to put you on speaker view. Would you kindly introduce yourself. Tell us who you are. Thank you, Bonnie, and a very good morning to everyone. My name is Ravi Patwardhan, and uh, I'm a supply chain technology consulting leader currently serving as a senior manager with Deloitte's enterprise performance practice. Uh, I've been in the supply chain consulting world for more than 15 years now, and uh, safe to say that I'm spread pretty broad across the supply chain spectrum, right all the way from planning to logistics execution. But if you talk of you know specific focus and passion, then that would definitely be in the aftermarket service parts planning area, uh, where I have been lucky enough to be on the cutting edge of some of the you know technology that has enabled digital transformation 
for a variety of industry verticals, um, especially in the aftermarket space. Um, and I've delivered technology-enabled transformation projects for multiple industry verticals, uh, primarily in automotive, uh, consumer goods space, aerospace, and then medical devices as well. Uh, again, I'm super pumped to be here, and uh, I'm really looking forward to the conversation with uh, my esteemed uh, uh, esteemed colleagues. Thank you very much. Very interesting. I The first time in, in 11 years of doing these shows, I've heard somebody say super pumped, and I like that. That's going to be the new gold <laughs> standard, <laughs> Robbie, for people coming on the show. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Guada, would you please do me the honor of introducing yourself? Why are you Thank here? you, Bonnie, and Hello. good morning, everyone. I am Guada Joseph, and I am a solution manager with SAP Automotive Business Unit. So I'm passionate about the market success of service parts management and uh, in building customer and partner relationship to make sure that um, we have great understanding and adaptation of um, service parts management. Uh, I like to basically stay current and contribute to um, trends and innovation in the aftermarket world. I have 15 years of experience with very large scale global automotive transformation you know, programs across North America, Europe, and Asia. So I am very excited, you know, aside for the fact that we have to acknowledge um, the, the challenges we faced last year with the pandemic and people hurting, but, but we are basically at a crossroad where we have a lot of opportunities um, in this um, segment with all of the technologies that are out there. And my passion is basically intelligent technologies, right? You know, providing basically holistic end-to-end solution to customers. So basically, um, let's get onto it. So let's, we, we have to face it, folks. So in today's economy, basically information is the currency. Okay, so, so providing accurate information to customers, information and alert, basically will get customers engaged and loyal. So um, that's pretty much my big time you know, passionate topic. Thank you, Guada. You hit so many interesting high points. I know we're going to go back and cover those in more detail during the roundtable. Thank you so much for joining us. And Sundar, we're ready for you. Please introduce yourself. Thanks, Bonnie, and thanks for having me and my colleagues on this call. Uh, Quickly, uh, Sundar Chandrasekharan, I'm a managing director in Deloitte Consulting. Uh, Practice, predominantly, I focus on industrial and manufacturing clients, and SAP is the core of my technology offerings. I have over 18 years of experience. 16 of the 18 years have been in, uh, primarily in aftermarket. Uh, just, just as a reflection, I guess supply chain has always been my passion. However, my foray, my entry into aftermarket was more by happenstance. Uh, my dad was actually working for a defense company back in India, where, you know, manufacturing and aftermarket are uh, predominantly the, the space in which they operate in. However, this was something that was never exciting or appealing for me. Now, since joining Deloitte, uh, I've had the opportunity to work with colleagues who have been experts in this field. And organically, over the years, I've served uh, companies in the aftermarket space. I've come to appreciate the nuances in this space as well as sort of establish myself as one of the thought leaders. 
uh, across the entire aftermarket supply chain from planning through you know distribution and fulfillment. Uh, and currently, I lead the SAP Connected Customer, which predominantly focuses on aftermarket uh, within the Deloitte and drives some of our eminence, aftermarket capabilities, and innovation in the marketplace. Thank you very much, Sundar. Happy to have you. What an interesting panel. I appreciate your backgrounds and what got you to this part. of. I'm just intrigued that there is an area of, of expertise, of study, of challenges called aftermarket. I didn't even think about that. It's something we don't usually cover. So I want to say a special thank you to Judy Cubis for bringing this to the table for our show today. It's time that we, we look into this. So now is the part of the show where I've asked my guests to please send me in advance their favorite movie, song, or TV character quote that has absolutely nothing to do with our topic. And in their own words, they're going to explain why they think it does. So this is interesting. It's called Thinking Outside the Box. So Ravi Patwarden has sent us a quote from Maximus Decimus Meridius. If you don't know who that is, and they're not your next door neighbor, played by Russell Crowe in the 2000 epic historical drama film by Ridley Scott. The movie is Gladiator. It's the second highest grossing film of 2000. It won only five Oscars at the 73rd Academy Awards. So here is the quote. Falling down is how we grow. Staying down is how we die. Ooh, Ravi, what a heavy quote. Talk to me. Why did you pick this for our show today, Ravi? <laughs> of course. I mean, good old Russell Crowe and uh, speaking of Gladiator, quite the magnum opus. That's still a classic to the day. Uh, when, I, when I considered this quote, it's, I thought it was just a very simple yet a profoundly inspirational way to put it, uh, whether you apply it to your personal lives or a business setting. Um, and I, it personally strikes a chord because it just continues to remind us of the incredible opportunity that every calamity presents, uh, an opportunity to be resilient, an opportunity to rise and ride that wave, if you will, converting each stumbling block that comes along into a, into a stepping stone. So try to relate that to the aftermarket business of today. I mean, whether it's a, it's a languishing business that has been dealt blows because of you know, economic slowdowns, you know, last year, the pandemic, uh, you know, off late, if you, if you rewind the clock just a little bit, the Suez Canal bottleneck that had a severe, you know, economic impact, it has caused enterprises to react in different ways. And by reaction, I mean, they could revisit sourcing strategies, they could diversify supply, they could arrange distribution logistics, what have you, just to quote a few examples. But most important, the essence has to be to be agile and innovative. And basically how the organizations or enterprises have chosen to respond to these crises through resilience, but also through agility and innovation is what has continued to define them and sets them up for growth and success. And pretty much it's the same in our personal lives too, isn't it? It certainly is. Words of wisdom, words to live by. Thank you, Robbie. I like the way you smiled at the end. Our personal lives too, isn't it? Yes, lessons learned. Thank you. Welcome to wisdom of the people on the future of mobility and manufacturing. Thank you. Love the quote. Guada has picked a classic line from a classic rock song. This is the 
title and the first line from a song written by Brian May, I'm leading up to Aguada, and recorded <laughs> by the British rock band Queen for their 1977 album, News of the World. The song ranked number 330 on Rolling Stone magazines, the 500 greatest songs of all time in 2004. The song, I haven't gotten there yet, was inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame in 2009, and you will all know it because it's an anthem in stadiums at sports events all over the world. The last 30 seconds, it is an a cappella song. Okay, I want everybody to put their hands together. We will, we will rock you. That's the, that's the Guada, I should have had my drums here. Guada, help me out here. What does this have to do with our topic, please? Oh my gosh, I absolutely love, love this song. It gets me in this zone. So I typically like to listen to reggaeton music when I exercise. Right. And um, but sometimes I'm not very motivated. So when I'm not very motivated, I like to listen to stadium music and to basically put me in the mood. And my all time favorite is we will, we will whack you, whack you. No matter what kind of mood I'm in, it basically gets me going. It gets me motivated and it puts me in the zone. It makes me happy no matter how challenging, you know, it felt when I first started exercising. So like what have you mentioned, we are in a challenging time, right? For, for the aftermarket industry with all of the trends and, and basically other challenges that, that have arisen in the last year and a half, and we'll get onto those in more detail. I think that aftermarket service folks, basically they need to get in the zone and get motivated to exceed customer expectations expectations. Customer expectation is at the center, basically, of successfully growing your business and keeping up with, um, with, with, with customer service. So, so basically, they have to rock their customer's world. They have to get in the mood to say, I'm going to rock your world to basically get you excited to come back to my business and basically provide um, additional services and, and keep them loyal. Thank you very much. And loyalty is very important. We talk about trust. We talk about understanding. We talk about meeting challenges. We will rock you. I, I remember Guada years ago, the and com mm. big companies I worked for, they said always under promise and over deliver. So yeah. the question is, we will rock you needs to be that promise that you deliver on. And Exactly. And and I have to remember now to add, we will rock you to my dance one playlist on Alexa. <laughs> I, I do punch. It will bag, get you going. I do punch bag punching in my in my living room here to music like Uptown Funk and mm -hmm. things like that and Havana. And I need to add, we will rock you. Thank you very Absolutely. much. Absolutely, I appreciate the tip here. <laughs> Sundar, we're up to you. What an interesting quote you have sent us. It Part of the quote is from Jason Bourne, played, of course, by Matt Damon. The movie is The Bourne Ultimatum or Ultimatum, depending on what's, what side of the pond you're on. 2007 <laughs> American action thriller film. I'd like to read the scene, if that's okay with you, Sundar. May I? So Noah Vosen, and I don't know who played Noah Vosen. I should probably find that out. Uh, Noah Vosen in a car and a cell phone. Perhaps we can arrange a meet. And Jason Bourne, Matt Damon says, where are you now? Vosen, I'm sitting in my office. Jason Bourne, I doubt that. Noah, why would you doubt that? Here comes the line. If you were in your office right now, we'd be having this conversation face to face. Click, Bourne hangs up. <laughs> 
Interesting scene, Sundar. I'm glad I found it. So please explain what does this have to do with our topic? Go ahead. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So to me, some of the parallels with aftermarket, right? So first, as I reflect on the, the quote, it reflects the fast pace, the need to be nimble, right? Which is very much the essence of aftermarket. Uh, additionally, I see parallels with respect to proper planning and execution. Goes without saying, there's no substitute for proper planning and execution. Now, you can plan to the best of your ability, but there needs to be flexibility and agility to incorporate sort of new information, right? That comes both from the internal environment as well as the external environment and incorporate this information real time. This to me is sort of the essence of the code. Now, additionally, I guess the collaboration part, uh, as you mentioned, Noah in the movie uh, could have collaborated better with his colleagues. Pam Landy, I guess, uh, played by Joanne Allen, uh, could have been brought on board. If the information had been shared, uh, there would have been better visibility across the organization. And again, as a parallel, across the end-to-end supply chain, right? So those are some parallels that, that I uh, found with aftermarket bonding. Thank you very much. I want to appreciate the three of you for picking such interesting quotes. Thank you for, for taking the time. I really like them. So let's go to the part of our show where we have statements. We have discussion statements, conversation starters submitted by all of my panelists. I'm going to pick one from Ravi, who's first on in the first seat on the panel, first chair, if you will, in the orchestra today. I've never said that before, but it makes sense. Ravi, I'm going to read your statement. It's very brief, just two sentences, but it has a punchline. And the punchline is the last word, actually. Ravi knows what I'm talking about. I'm going to ask Ravi to take a couple of minutes to explain, or as they say on the news, unpack it. Then we'll go around the table. Gwada, you're sitting next to Ravi virtually, whether you know it or not. So I'm going to ask you to take a couple of minutes and agree or disagree, and do not be afraid to disagree with Ravi. He looks like a very nice person. And then <laughs> I watch. <laughs> then we will go to Sundar, and Sundar, you will be asked to agree or disagree with Ravi and or with Guada. So you've got twice as much content to look at. And then we'll have Ravi do follow-up remarks back to the two of you. Then I'll pick a statement from Guada. We'll go around the table, and then one from Sundar. Let's see where we go. So Ravi, here's your first statement you sent me. Very interesting. You say the strategic importance of aftermarket, and I'm using a capital A on aftermarket because it's a whole whole topic unto itself. The strategic importance of aftermarket is undeniable given its disproportionately large share of profitability, not to mention the avenue it provides for customer proximity and ongoing relationships. Here's where I want Ravi to focus. Yet we see time and again that it ends up being an afterthought. Ravi, take it from here, please. Absolutely. And uh, I just want to double down real quick on the strategic importance of aftermarket and how important it is. I think uh, for the listeners that be that be listening in, it'll be almost be you know preaching to the pilgrims if I you know discuss in detail how strategically important you know aftermarket is, other than the reasons that I already mentioned about right disproportionately large share of profitability, just an incredible avenue to be to as close to the customers as possible, and then open up new new revenue streams, uh, but. Oftentimes what happens is that the procurement groups uh, end up focusing on catering the parts just to production, thereby just leaving the scraps for the aftermarket. So that's that's something that should be imperatively avoided, right? And the other part, which is probably the more strategic part is that 
how do you make sure that you plan your aftermarket strategy and operationalize that head to head with the product launch? So let me take a quick example here. Like for example, electric car launch, right? A new car is launched and everyone enjoys that first little bit of honeymoon period where you take advantage of the OEM uh, warranties. But it's the period that follows that warranty expiration where it's absolutely critical to generate and establish that next phase of customer allegiance. And the only way you can do it is to start thinking about it and strategizing it early enough in the game. Thank you very much. Let's go around the table. Interesting. Guada, talk to us. Thoughts uh-huh. on what Ravi just shared. Go ahead. Yeah, so I I do agree with what Ravi just said, especially I just had an experience mm-hmm. where I was in, I had a little collision and took my car for service for a tiny little um, bump and it took them literally a whole month to to basically get a tiny little bump fix and they had to order the part literally across the pond to get my part in so it took over a month literally over a month the customer service was so bad that i literally will never buy this brand again you know, so it's very crucial in terms of, um, you know, having loyalty to to basically look after your aftermarket, look after them, like Ravi mentioned, in terms mm-hmm. of making sure that you're servicing customers properly, that you have the right time in the right place at the right time, because I should not have to wait a month for you to get a part in for you to fix a tiny little problem. So it is crucial because I will not buy it again. Interesting. So your your level of loyalty went up to the brand, not just to the yeah. service provider. I had a similar situation where a little piece of a, of a seatbelt holder cracked off. And I, mm-hmm. went and I said, I bought an extended warranty. It was a sports car. It was used. I bought an extended warranty. I paid a lot of money for it. And they said, if you read the fine print, that little tiny piece of plastic is not covered in your extended warranty. So they sent me to a repair shop and that little piece of plastic was attached to a big piece of plastic that went around behind the seats. This <laughs> cost me $1,700 out of pocket mm-hmm. to have that little piece, which was this big that cracked off on the seatbelt holder that went around. They had to take the, the backs of the seats out. They had to take the convertible top yeah. off. And I thought, seriously? Yeah. The extended warranty was absolutely useless to me. Useless, yeah. Fine print. So it was a question of parts, of not explaining. It was was an expensive thing. That's all I can tell you. And the person who sat in that seat and broke that, I should have charged her for that. I'm sorry to derail you. (laughs) Sundar, sir, I'm so sorry to jump in here. But it's it's very emotional, this topic. (laughs) Sundar, what do you think? Agree or disagree with Ravi and or with Guada? Well, I, I agree with both of them. I think they, to your phrase earlier, under-promise, over-deliver. I think the potential for aftermarket is enormous, right? So a couple of themes that I want to maybe elaborate that Ravi and Gorda touched upon. Uh, aftermarket being an afterthought. Across the companies that I've served, I've seen aftermarket to be historically a sort of an ancillary business, right? Mm -hmm. Now, given the cyclical nature of many industries, companies are looking for constant recurring revenue, right? And also they are looking for profitable growth, how to secure high margins. 
and typically sales spare parts is one of the avenues, if not the avenue, to generate uh, their portfolio, right? So, given the nature of the industry, many a time it is less impacted by external environment. In fact, uh, Deloitte had uh, done an analysis last year where it showed, you know, typical large companies in the industrial product space. When we had looked at the financial reports, it seemed the operating margins through aftermarket sales was 2.5 times that of the original equipment sales, right? So that by itself is a clear differentiator. Uh, the second thing that Gada touched upon, the experience that, that she shared, right? It's, it's very profound because if you start contrasting the products and the services, previously it used to be, you know, either or. Now that's no longer the case. Mm -hmm. Products and services go hand in hand. Yes. You know, if you look historically, product was seen as something that adds value. Service was seen as something that is more cost focused. Mm. slowly service became a differentiator. Now both products and services are seen as value. So I, th I think that paradigm shift that we've been seeing in the recent past will continue to sustain as we move into the next few years. Thank you. So very well put. Ravi, I want to thank you for a wonderful conversation starter. Anything you'd like to say back to your co-panelists, Ravi? <laughs> no, those were some just amazing insights. I just uh, love the way Guara and Sundar just completed that circle here. Uh, talking of disproportionate revenues, I didn't want to throw in that one statistic in there. Uh, there's a McKinsey report that indicates that about 20% of the total automotive revenues have, you know, their origin in the aftermarket area and higher profitability compared to any other sectors. So, again, case in point of why it should not be an afterthought. And like, good sorry point. to jump in, Bonnie. We're just <laughs> building know. on that. You know, uh, yeah, we are also seeing companies, right, recognizing the importance of aftermarket, where you are seeing companies stand up separate business units mm -hmm. with a dedicated mm -hmm. P&L, right, which honestly is not something that is common across industries. So definitely there is greater recognition of the importance of aftermarket. I think we need a banner for all of this. Thank you to all of you that says aftermarket does not equal afterthought. I think that, mm -hmm. needs, that needs to be some kind of a mantra or a banner or a, a logo, a slogan somewhere. Thank you very much, Ravi, for pointing that out. Guada, I'm going to your statement number two, because the first word of your statement is the type, part of the title of the show, Mobility. So you mm -hmm. say, mobility as a service can provide growth opportunities for aftermarket businesses. Let me read a little bit more. The younger generation is likely to use it extensively and organizations offering the service will have to be diligent with vehicle upkeeps. I'm going to stop there. Guada, please unpack this for us. Um, yeah, so so we discussed before the changing aftermarket world, right? One such opportunity is mobility as a service, you know, to for them to be able to tap onto that revenue stream so that they can basically grow their business. So, um that service will basically be very attractive to younger generation because a lot of them do not want to make a commitment and buy a vehicle. 
you know. Um, so because they don't want to make a commitment and buy a vehicle and because they are more curious and want to try different um, vehicles, so they will basically, I believe, use this extensively. And because they will use it extensively and because these services are being provided by organizations that have to be responsible, they are going to make sure the maintenance on this vehicle um, is, is, stays up to, up to date. And because of that, then the aftermarket businesses basically will have a lot more vehicles for them to maintain. And um, basically, if they position themselves well, they can take advantage of this opportunity and opportunity and and um and basically grow their business because according to to mckenzie there is a great need for them to grow their business in other areas because according to mckenzie we expect lower maintenance on electric vehicles right so electric vehicles because we're going to have a lot more of them coming onto the market you know as we go on and there's lower maintenance on those so there's going they are going to lose revenue um, on that end. And then the potential crash repair on vehicle because of autonomous vehicle, that will also decrease by up to 90%. That is huge. It's great because we're not, we're going to have less fatalities, but then it's going, there's another way that aftermarket businesses are going to lose revenue. So clearly they're going to have to find a way to go in other areas if they are going to lose revenue in, um, in the, you know, electric vehicle and atomic, you know, autonomous vehicle. So they have to find other ways to grow their business. And I think being able to tap onto mobility as a service is a great opportunity for them to grow. Thank you very much. Great points. There are a lot to unpack from the rest of the panel. Sundar, you're sitting next to Guada, so I'm going to put you on the spot here. Agree or disagree? Talk to me. I agree with Gada. Uh, <laughs> I guess the, the, if I reflect on, again, Gada covered a lot of good themes, right? So mobility, connected, digitization. Uh, if you take a step back, uh, obviously with the advent of, you know, electric cars and so on, maybe there was less of a perceived maintenance, but it also brings in new opportunities, new revenue streams, right? So with respect to how can companies monetize, you know, some of the product data and data is sort of, I think, uh, Gorda mentioned earlier, sort of the new oil, if I may. Uh, so if, if, you know, companies start focusing on services and monetization. So we've come across, you know, companies that are looking at, for example, monetizing data through APIs that takes the tire pressure and correlates that to sort of the fuel efficiency, right? So that actually is a, a data that will help the end customers, not just for maintenance, but for the companies to provide more predictive, proactive uh, service catalogs, right? The other uh, trend that we are also seeing across the companies that we service, you know, the concept of the shared economy, mm-hmm. right? With the, with the new generation, obviously, they, they are, you know, more tech savvy, you know, using the Ubers of the world. So how, how do we sort of tap into that market uh, and monetize? The last is, you know, with, with the advent of technology, uh, you now see 
school college students who can sort of leverage technologies like 3d printing to creatively uh, come up with aftermarket parts so it also begs the question of how to react to competition in a very fast way when you have also if i may call low cost competitors right so i think these are some of the trends that uh, i'm seeing as as god i explained uh, so completely agree with her on this thank you ravi you're sitting next to sundar for this round so what do you see agree or disagree a lot to talk about I definitely would agree. Uh, I mean, one point that Guada made stuck in my mind uh, was around uh, lower maintenance of electric vehicles, and that's absolutely, you know, very valid, great point. Uh, what I would add on to that particular one is that, you know, while we would definitely expect lower maintenance of of service vehicle or of electric vehicles or any any equipment vehicles going forward, uh, it's key to understand that the expectations around zero downtime and highest and highest levels of service are they are not going any lower by any means uh-huh. and that's where i think that you know a, a revised approach for maintenance which has mostly been corrective in the past so an approach more along the lines of what could be predictive or even taking it a step further almost prescriptive will have a major role to play and as as i think of it it's almost that it will end up being more as a prerequisite rather than a nice to have thank you very much guada what an interesting starter you gave us for around the table guada you want to comment back to the others on the panel please um no i just just want to emphasize what we've all mentioned about in terms of growth opportunities so you know seize on on whatever new technologies whatever new solutions that are out there as we stated before with the code as well as we stated before with the code you have to be resilient and you have to be proactive in basically tapping on new revenue growth I have a question. Thank you very much. I have a question. Somebody mentioned 3D printing. Was it you, Sundar? I did. Yes. <sighs> Can you just tell me briefly? Will pe- we know people are printing lipstick, body parts, guns, weapons uh, on 3D <laughs> plastic? Get under the radar. Not going to get into the politics of that. Thank you very much. But when you say 3D printing, are they people going to be printing their own car parts, replacement parts, Sundar? Is that happening or is it is something on the industrial side that that suppliers will be do- well we don't have this little piston here let's go in the back room and print it on our 3D printer and then we've got it for Guada in 10 minutes so how's that work with 3D can you just give me a little more information Sundar Absolutely in fact everything that you said is already happening in the industry right all the way from you know if i think of small legos right so mm-hmm. you know students are uh, creating 3D print of the legos now if you take it from an industry standpoint the fast moving part say the nuts and bolts you you typically want to ensure the part is available at the point of use right so how do you enable the end customers or the dealers if it's through the dealer channels uh with the right part at the right time and 3d printing provides one of the avenues right so definitely it's already a reality in my mind bonnie Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Okay, Sundar, you happen to be next in line for another statement here. So I've picked statement number two. Let's focus on supply chains. You say supply chains are becoming and are already more complex and global, yet highly integrated, end-to-end visibility across multiple tiers and multi-tier network optimization across supply tiers 
will be the future. We're not at our predictions part of the show yet, but let's talk about this. Sundar, please unpack this for me. Sure, sure. I, uh, a couple of, again, themes in that, right, global. So uh, I'll, I'll just tie this back to the earlier discussion that we had. Uh, obviously, there's a recognition of aftermarket being a cash cow. Now, while companies are looking at growth, you know, in all parts of the world, often they miss out opportunities within their own turf, right, in the aftermarket space. Uh, so what we are seeing is uh, this aftermarket, the digital service offerings, provide a competitive edge to companies. Uh, if you rewind back, you know, planning service parts typically used to be within the four walls, right? Now that's a thing of the past. It slowly evolved into sort of the inventory optimization, trying to ensure the right parts are stopped at the right location while adhering to the service levels, right? So if it's sort of a, a critical part that you need at say a mine as an example, you need to provide it uh, at, ahead of time, right? So that begs the question of taking this from a, sort of a, a linear inventory optimization all the way to a network and this network often encompasses multiple tiers of suppliers, right? So how do you ensure there is a good illumination across the end-to-end -end network? And how do you sort of plan and optimize at the network level? And the network could include both the OEMs, right? The different sort of locations, the warehouses that the OEMs have. And it can also expand into sort of the third-party providers, it can expand on both sides of the supply chain, both on the customer side as well as the supplier side. And the key here is to recognize the networks are no longer linear, right? This has become very interconnected and interdependent. So uh, optimizing across the supply chain at the network level is here to stay. Thank you very much. Let's go around the table. Agree or disagree? Ravi, you're next. What do you think? Absolutely. Uh, no, great points. And uh, I want to bring out two kind of hidden statements that Sundar made in, in his talk. And just want to call that out that, you know, there are two important facets to, to aftermarket, right? I mean, one is your customer service uh, or customer or service centric strategy. And then the other one that Sundar also talked about when he, when he alluded to his uh, multi-tier network optimization strategy, what's the distribution-centric strategy. And oftentimes that distribution-centric strategy tends to be ignored. Uh, an additional point I'd also like to make is the need for flexibility, right? Uh, distribution networks for your service parts cannot afford to be rigid by any means in order to be reactive. And that's the, that's the need of the need of the hour, in fact, even proactive for that matter. Uh, to exemplify that, you know, you have your normal distribution network for service parts that includes your OEMs. Uh, but the need of the R is to make that flexible. So, for example, what was a regional distribution center today could very well be a satellite DC in a few weeks. And I've actually seen that, uh, you know, across at, uh, some of the some of the industry clients uh, that that uh, that what we what we would normally call as a bill of distribution or a distribution structure there's a need for that to be absolutely flexible uh, if you want to be able to service your clients better and live up to those service levels. Thank you very much. Guada, thoughts please. 
So I like, in addition to, you know, what Sundar and Wavi mentioned in terms of having a centralized network um, based type of planning um, solution, we also basically want to make sure we have end-to-end processes where we have, where we integrate the execution part of the business with the planning part of the business where you have full visibility across the entire network. And in addition to having full visibility um, across the entire network, you have basically sales folks and procurement folks and inventory folks talking to each other in real time. And, and this is a game changer. You, you typically, you, there was always a lag of time for, for the selling process to basically talk and integrate with the planning process. So in tomorrow's world, um, in today's world, to meet the challenges that we are facing right now, we need to have them automated. Uh, or integrated that's critical basically to to um, rapidly respond to customers' needs um, and and basically grow the business and and be more productive and agile basically. Thank you very much, Sundar. I'm going to bring this back to you. Good starter you shared for us. Thank you so much, Sundar. Anything you want to say back to Ravi and or Aguada? Uh, no, I, I think the, maybe I'll just touch upon the customer centricity, mm-hmm. right? So. Uh, we typically think of uh, aftermarket from a planning standpoint, right? The right part at the right location, the right time. Mm-hmm. But also as we think about it from a customer service standpoint, you know, customers are open for a premium for the service, right? So uh, it's not always a cost play, but the service element comes in here. Uh, we should also recognize the interconnected nature of the supply chain. So it also begs the question of, you know, global trade, where sometimes you have parts that are procured from certain geographies. It has to go through the right global trade approvals. And not but the, uh, not the least, but I want to also emphasize the transportation dimension, right? Given the, the again, the global nature of this, how do we get the right visibility? How, how do companies get the insights through a control tower or otherwise and ensure that they do the right sort of scenario planning simulations to get to the right customer service levels? Thank you very much. All good points. Ravi, anything you want to add to that? I see you nodding. You good? Yeah, I'm nodding in agreement there. Okay, (laughs) Ravi, I'm going to put you up next because we have time for, I think, one more topic. I'm looking at your statement number four. You say enabling predictive or even prescriptive maintenance will be a prerequisite to succeed and not just the norm in the aftermarket spare parts world. Aftermarket enterprises can no longer afford to be stuck in the corrective frame of mind. A lot of key words in there, Ravi. Why don't you unpack this for us, please? Absolutely. And I may have briefly touched on this before, but let me let me explain. And, and just as a background, I mean, we all know that supply chains of today, especially in the aftermarket world, are characterized by their significant complexities, whether it's network, whether it's parts planning, you know, intermittent demand, etc. Uh, you couple this with higher and higher service level expectations, and not to mention an ever-increasing pressure to drive the cost further down. Uh, That makes it just incredibly difficult 
for enterprises to manage their service or spare parts operations as well as MRO. Now, if you look at the approaches that have been taken in the past, which have been mostly along the lines of corrective or preventative maintenance, they are definitely helpful, but they are still reactive approaches that are still subject to unpredictability. So for example, if a part on uh, equipment goes kaput, sure, you realize it later, but you are still wasting a lot of operational time and asset utilization. And guess what? That's making a serious dent into your you know, long-term costs as well as your bottom line. And that's where uh, predictive maintenance comes into play. Uh, so both Gaurav and Sundar alluded to IoT before, and you know we all know that IoT revolution over the last decade or so, it's matured incredibly, and it has radically redefined machine maintenance with the whole advent of you know connected equipment now. Uh, throw onto that you know mix of machine learning, cloud, and advanced analytics that just gives you an incredible tool set to ingest and make sense of all the data that you are now receiving from all these connected equipments talking to each other, whether it's vehicles or just equipments. But all of this has just given a new direction for enterprises to pivot from being just truly just reactive and move on from those reactive or corrective maintenance strategies to ones that are truly proactive or even foresightful for that matter. Thank you very much. Let's go around the table. Guada, join me. What do you think? Oh, yes. I, I, I want to add a bit more to what mm-hmm. Wavi mentioned, actually, because with the wise of um, connected vehicle, so aftermarket businesses with the support and with the approval of customers, they will have lots of data basically for them to be able to do predictive maintenance. Um, and, and, and the customers, the new customers, the younger generation, they will expect you to tell them when there is a problem, where they should go to fix that problem. They want you to basically treat them as individual. So the only way you can do that is by by having the opportunity to tap onto all of the data available from connected vehicle for you to be able to be proactive and do the predictive maintenance. And here comes um, the, the tool that's going to be needed for them to be able to do that is my passion is intelligent technologies, like what have you alluded a little bit earlier. So in order for them to be able to get all of that data, process it, and basically, you know, provide customer-specific services specifically for Bunny or specifically for Guada, whoever the customer is, and they expect it, you know, you have to be able to basically, you have to have end-to-end process digitalization, you know, particularly in the planning, procurement, inventory management, and sales space. Basically, this technology basically will provide an opportunity for them to be able to tap onto their data, you know, build efficiencies, and in return, have a higher customer expectation and increase revenue. So, so the data is definitely a currency, you know, that they need to tap on. Thank you, Guada. Sundar, join us. Thoughts? Yeah, no, I, I think the broader theme is, you know, aftermarket may not be seen as glamorous, but it is sort of a leading source of innovation, right? Mm -hmm. Everything that Gauda and Ravi covered, uh, aftermarket is at the intersection of sort of classic old technologies, emerging and new technologies. It is definitely, uh, you know, bringing in innovations, 
whether it is uh, cloud computing, whether it's you know new ways of optimization, right? Uh, how to come up with new sources of business value. I think aftermarket is very much at the forefront of all this. Uh, it, it also is evolving the industry, if I may, from sort of a transactional nature that Ravi called out to more a relationship-based model, right? Where it's not just the predictive maintenance, but also build a relationship with the customers for ongoing uh, recurring revenues, right? So I think broadly, as I see, you know, the, the uh, industry is being disrupted and this disruption is happening across the traditional companies that you see, as well as the new emerging startups, right? Uh, both of these are contributing to sort of uh, innovation in this space. Thank you very much. A lot of key words in there. We have one t- time for one more topic, but <laughs> Ravi, anything you want to say back to them before I just squeeze in one more? Uh, no, no, great points. Uh, just wanted to give a little perspective, maybe in terms of numbers of what yeah. we mean by data, right? I mean, mm-hmm. uh, reports indicate that, you know, a new connected equipment generates as much as 25 to 30 gigs of data every hour. What? So just to, to give some perspective of the volume of data or the crest of data that's, that's upon us. So again, underscoring that point that I made about combining this with the right analytical capabilities, it just opens the door to potentially competition differentiating insights and insights being the keyword there. And Ravi, how do you mine that information? Yeah. Because the proliferation of yeah. data also poses its challenges. So this is where again, new technologies, whether it's AI, you know, we've seen uh, extensions of AR, VR across the industry. So how do we sort of make sense of the plethora of data that we have available today? Yeah. It's a good question. Anybody want to answer that question? What do you do with how many gigabytes an hour? Seriously? Are we getting into, are <laughs> we past terabytes? Are we getting into zettabytes? Are we getting into incredible bytes? I don't know what, what you're going to call it <laughs> after you get petabytes. I think they're running out of, of Greek letters to, to describe the number of bytes. I did want to squeeze in one little more topic here. It's almost a, a summary. Uh, Guada, I'm looking at your statement number four. You say game time decision do or die. And this goes back to somebody's movie quote. The aftermarket world is going through a significant transformation. Yes, they must have a strategy to deal with new technologies, new digital players, and intelligent vehicles. We're, we're almost at the point of the show where I'm going to do the crystal ball predictions. But Guad, I thought this was a nice way of tying up a lot of what we've been talking about. You want to just give it about one minute and then we'll go around the table and then we'll do predictions. Oh, yeah, sure. Yes. I mean, this is basically summarizing everything that we've been discussing um, in the last 45 minutes. It is definitely the game time decision. It's And if aftermarkets do not take the initiative to transform themselves, it is do or die. You know, as, as the, the, the original quote that Ravi mentioned from Gladiator, you know, either you stay there, you get up, but they have to definitely do something. They cannot, um, automotive has always been slow, very slow with transformation, but now is the perfect time for them to break that tradition. You know, they have to take very bold and fearless type of decision to basically tackle um, and all of the trends and challenges and and seize on new opportunities. So 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 do or die. 
Thank you. I'm going to take that as your prediction because I'm looking at three minutes left. Let's yeah. go around the table. Thank you. I kind of led you into that one, Guada. You're very yeah. gracious. Thank you for being led. Sundar, prediction, I've got uh, 60 seconds for you. Where do you see this all going? Specifically after market, I guess to me it is, uh, this is definitely a boardroom priority, right, across mm-hmm. companies. <laughs> I maybe hazard to say this is, priority for the new generation all the way from showroom to boardroom, right? Pretty much covering the end-to-end span of the supply chain. I see sort of an intersection, cross-pollination of ideas across industries. It's already happening. We think of aftermarket typically as, you know, automotive, but there are a lot of collaboration happening across industries. Uh, Domain subject expertise will continue to remain but it's how do we cross-pollinate ideas across industries. So that, that's sort of what I think. And outside of aftermarket, I guess this Friday or Saturday, I should say, Manchester City is going to win the Champions League. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I told you you could have a sports prediction. Ravi, what do you see coming up or down the pike, Ravi? No, without a shadow of doubt. Uh, I think one thing that uh, Guada and Sundar might have already touched upon is the, is the need and the uh, the process digitization that is that is upon us, and uh, probably that also translates into having a strong digital core as being a prerequisite to running your aftermarket successfully. And organizations, I see them, you know, having to adopt a continuous improvement mindset, right? Open to you know taking risks, and an agile way of working might be conducive uh, towards that approach. And failing first, failing quick, right? Mm-hmm. Taking those risks. And last but not the least, a very important point with all this new technology, you know, cross-pollination, you know, process versus, you know, new technologies. It's very important that organizations do not ignore what it's going to take to retool and retrain the talent in their workforce, right? Because that talent is what is going to eventually drive the aftermarket. And that will have to significantly evolve to support this transition, uh, whether it's with new technologies or new operating models. Thank you very much. We just got a comment from Judy, our sponsor. She says, not too sure about the Manchester City prediction, but she agrees with everything else. <laughs> Thank you, Judy. It's oh, always, Sunday. Always, always fun. Always fun when we get that. I have a quick question for all of you just before I close up. I want to know by, let's see, we're uh, May, we're May 24th today, 2021. By December 2022, will you still have the keys to your own car in your pocket or will you be part of the sharing economy? Quickly, Ravi, yes or no? Own pocket, own keys? Yes, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Guada, yes or no? Um, yeah. Uh, okay, Sundar? I certainly would have. Moi yes. <laughs> <laughs> aussi, said the moderator. Thank you very much. <laughs> I can't thank the three of you enough. You have been so generous and gracious in sharing your insights, your savvy, your passion for the topic. You've made this interesting and fun. I can't even count the number of times buzzwords have come into your, you you covered about a thousand topics in less than an hour. I'm very impressed. And I want to say great gratitude to the three of you. And of course, to Judy Kubis. So here's my call and a shout out to Aaron Keller, our engineer extraordinaire at the business channel team at Voice America for getting us on the air. Here's my call to action. Fasten your seat 
seatbelt. What are you waiting for? My car is now getting a month to the gallon, just like it used to. Go out and be a game changer today, just like Ravi Patwarden at Deloitte, just like Guada Joseph at SAP, just like Sundar Chandra Sekharan. I think I got it right. At Deloitte, I'm Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Everybody, just go out and be a game changer. The world needs you. Be smart, be savvy, be safe, be intelligent. And we'll talk to you again next time. Everybody wave bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to the future of mobility and manufacturing with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.